Welcome to the Development Policy Centre podcast. The 2018 PNG update was held at the University of Papua New Guinea on the 14th and 15th of June. The conference included a panel on digital technology in which presenters discussed market fee payment through custom-made software, electronic government in PNG, and lessons from a Guailala ICT project. Keep listening to find out more. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. I think we can start now. Uh, now it's at uh, 3.30 already. I think we have uh, three presenters over here. So without further delay, I think we manage our time. Uh, there's uh, uh, four uh, others um, uh, supposed to present the papers. We have uh, only three. So we'll start with uh, the first one. Um, the chairperson supposed to be Mr. Charlie Gillespie is um, not available right now, so I'm appointed chairperson. My name is Manoha, uh, Deputy Executive Dean of School of Business and Public Policy, University of Papua New Guinea. Welcome all for this PNG update, uh, was, uh, uh, first day of the uh, conference. So for the session uh, four of, uh, uh, two of the uh, first day of the conference. Uh, Without further delay, I think all you know the, the time frame is 15 minutes, all the presenters. So we will go the presentation first, all of you, then the, after the presentation complete, then we go for the question and answer at the end. So we can manage the time accordingly. So we'll call the first presentation today. I mean, the topic is digital technology. You know, the, we are living in the information super highway. So the future is depend on the uh, technology, how we are going to use, how we are going to work. It's a very interesting topic. Therefore, I think, I think this presentation will be more uh, you know, knowledgeable and truthful so we can uh, you know, plan our future of works. So I will call um, the first presentation, uh, Dr. Amanda Watson from uh, ANU and co-authors with uh, Nisha, and Christina Cheong uh, from the UN Women Institutions. And they are going to do the presentation on the topic of market-free payment through custom-made software. The findings and the findings. Krishna Chong and of a pilot study. Please put the hand together. Welcome Dr. Amanda and the team. Thank you true, Mr. Manoha. Uh, for the, uh, my name is Dr. Amanda Watson, and my co-authors, Ms. Nisa Fakri and Ms. Christina Chiong, could not be here with us today. But we do have a representative from UN Women who's going to introduce the first part of the presentation. Uh, her name is our colleague, Ms. Betty Marua. She's a program specialist with UN Women, and she's going to say a few words to kick us off. Afternoon, everyone. Thank you, Amanda. Sorry. Um, so, before we start with the presentation, um, I would like to quickly acknowledge the team. So, firstly, as Amanda said, we don't have Nisa Fakri with us, but uh, we would like to acknowledge her technical expertise in the design of the payment uh, system that we're going to talk about. And also, also, 
I'd like to thank um, Amanda for her input in the evaluation of the payment system. Um, also, we would I would like to acknowledge the Safe um, Cities project team who are there, who will be also helping us with answering the questions. Uh, this project is actually implemented under the, sorry, I'm, I have a loud voice I could do without the mic. <laughs> so um, I'd like to say that this is part of the Podmosby Safe City project that we implement in partnership with uh, NCDC. So this is just one of the activities um, we've um, implemented. So basically, should we start? Okay, so basically the Safe City project um, tries to address safety of women and girls in markets and also um, it tries to improve access to economic opportunities and also other services for our market workers. Um, so we, the, project started, the project started in 2011, but um, through our experience working with the market, uh, there were several challenges um, that we identified, uh, especially in terms of how they collect money um, at the markets. So the four key challenges that uh, was identified, so firstly, um, the extortion for, for fees from market vendors. So basically the market security personals and the market clerks, um, who are usually men, harass the market vendors to take fees, and mostly the vendors who are, who are females end up paying more than you know the um, official daily fees. So there's a lot of harassment by different uh, authorities in the market of, of female market vendors. So secondly, the cash that's collected at the markets, um, they're not accounted for daily, which means that those who collect money would take it home, or they would not, uh, there's no accounting uh, system or process in place to take um, count of how much they have taken, uh, the daily takings. Uh, the other thing is that the cash and paper received bags uh, take, take a long time for clerks and office managers to acquit. Uh, the, one of the other last challenges is that um, the sale of tickets, because they sell it at the gate, so they don't really have, um, there's this disconnection between space and fees, so resulting in uh, the mismanagement, uh, the management of market space. So those who collect fees do not know, you know, which space is being taken up, the, up by the vendors. So you have vendors who, who take charge of a space and they kind of take ownership and they want, they don't allow new vendors to come and um, sell in those space. So these are some of the challenges that we identified through our work with the markets. And we've decided to, try to come up with a different um, 
fee collection system. So I'm going to let Amanda to take talk through how we designed the fee collection system and uh, the findings. Thank you, Drew. So uh, we used a human-centred approach to design in which the users of the market fee payment system, that's both those who collect the fees as well as those who uh, obviously pay the fees, the vendors, uh, were de uh, consulted in the design of the program. Uh, initial thoughts were that perhaps some sort of mobile banking or mobile payment system could be used to allow vendors to pay market fees. However, it was quickly established that many vendors, women at markets selling fresh produce, don't have uh, mobile phones or would not be able to do something like that. So the system that was designed, there is a computer part to it on the uh, NCDC side, that's the National Capital District uh, Commission, but on the, on the side of the vendors, they just give cash. I'll give, also give him money, tassel, just like they did before. Uh, the only difference is, is that they give money uh, 10 kina a week, once per week, rather than two kina daily uh, in the pilot system. So we ran a pilot at Barocco Market, and this photo shows one of the NCDC officers telling the vendors about what to expect during the pilot. The pilot included uh, having spaces marked out clearly and of the same size, rather than people just spreading out how they wanted to, which they did traditionally. The pilot also included posters and a coloured booklet in top pissing for vendors telling them about the project and vendors had a choice whether or not to participate. Participating in the project and preparing for the project involved training, uh, that's for the NCDC Market Management Division, the vendors at Barocco Market as well as the uh, clerks themselves, the ones that would be collecting the money. And of course, a map was developed so that it could be kept track of as to which vendor was in which space in the market. So it was a bit more organized than you would normally see in a fresh food market in Papua New Guinea. But turning importantly to our evaluation findings, following a 12 week long pilot period, we evaluated the new market payment system to see how it was going. And this photo shows Mr. Makurgo Nilcare, who's uh, one of the team members, he's just there in the middle row there, uh, conducting a survey with a vendor. And the survey was done orally with uh, verbal questions being asked and responses being written down by the enumerator, in this case, Mr. Makurgo Nilcare. And uh, we, as well as surveys, we also did some interviews. So at the end of the pilot period, around 60% of the vendors had paid their 10 kina weekly days, uh, weekly fees in full. That means around 40% of them had not paid all of their, uh, their fees for that 12-week period. Um, eviction notices had been issued by the NCDC market division, but no actual evictions had been conducted by the staff at the market. That's, that would be removing people from their market spaces. New vendors had entered the pilot site, but they hadn't been engaged in the pro project in a formal way, whereas initially the vendors who were joined at the start of the pilot were given detailed training, booklets, shirts, IDs, contracts to sign, and so on. 
So think of it a bit like renting a space, ah, like a contract, like if you rent a house or a flat or an office space or something, you sign a contract or a lease. That's what uh, was trialled in this pilot and with weekly payments so that people could feel that they had a space that was theirs that they were renting. Turning to the survey now, and we did go through an ethical uh, process in which we gave people an explanation, an informed consent process. We gave people an explanation of the research and we gave them a choice whether or not they wanted to answer the questions. Uh, and those who chose to participate, we ended up with 57 vendors who responded to these verbal questions via a survey. Most of them were female, which reflects uh, literature which says that most market vendors in Papua New Guinea are women. Uh, and about 60% of them were selling food or some sort of products, usually food, on their own stall. Uh, some of them, about 20, well 20 out of 57 people were selling at a stall belonging to someone else. So either it was a casual vendor who had come into the pilot area and found a space that was empty and occupied it that day, or it was a friend or family member of a contracted vendor who had uh, who was asked to look after that space for them that day. 39 of the 57 vendors spoken to sold six days a week, uh, and Barocco Market is only open six days a week. It's closed on Sundays. And the other vendors are operated on five days a week or less. But what did the vendors know about the new system? Did they understand the new system? We were curious to find that out. The weekly cost is 10 kina, and most of them knew that correct answer. Uh, the payment location is at the market office at Barocco Market, and most of them had that correct. But a smaller number were clear on which, which day they were supposed to pay. So in the pilot, the vendors were supposed to pay on Tuesdays, but they didn't all know that. And uh, indeed, that's okay, because if they don't have the full 10 kina on a Tuesday, they can pay on another day. And what to receive after the payment, importantly, they're supposed to get a receipt. This is a significant difference to the earlier system of having two kina per day being collected at stalls. Uh, but um, not everyone seemed clear that they were supposed to get a receipt or a ticket when they paid. And what did they think of this new piloted system? Well, uh, 38 of the 57 people we surveyed in this survey had uh, signed a contract at the outset of the pilot, and those contracts had all expired as we were doing the, uh, the, uh, the evaluation just after the 12-week period ended. Uh, but only 28 of them remembered receiving a booklet. They should have all received a coloured booklet in top in explaining the process and the pilot and so on, but not all of them remembered that. And even uh, a similar number to that remembered receiving some sort of explanation or uh, a briefing about the system, and a smaller number had received a vendor ID. They're supposed to receive, as part of the pilot, a photo ID, which they were excited about, but not everyone seemed to remember getting that. What do they think about the weekly fee? 18 out of 57 people, a sizable group of the people spoken to, uh, said that the fee is too much. So uh, that reflects a challenge that we identified where people sometimes found it a struggle to have 10 kina of spare cash available early in the week for making the one-off weekly payment. Uh, 31 out of 57 people, so over half, thought that um, it was a reasonable amount, 10 kina per week. 
There was ambivalence and mixed feelings about whether they would prefer a weekly payment or a daily payment. Obviously, the daily payment's a bit easier to maybe to find the two kina, uh, but then they run the risk of perhaps being asked multiple times a day if they can't produce a receipt, uh, whereas the weekly payment sometimes is hard for a vendor to have 10 kina ready to go. We also did interviews. We did interviews with four market clerks. That's all four market clerks at Barocco Market and also two interviews with people at City Hall at the NCDC Market Division. What do the respondents to the interviews uh, like about the system? Well, from the project site, one said extortion had been reduced. So that was a positive. Another respondent said that in comparison to the older system, it makes my job easier because I know the expected revenue and can report to my boss and check on the controllers. So those were some of the positives. Regarding negatives or challenges encountered, one respondent said the weekly payment is good, but vendors have challenges in settling outstanding payments. So for instance, if a, if a woman working in the market selling has a child who's sick one week or is herself sick one week and absent, then she still accrues the 10 kina fee because she's renting that space. And so this causes a problem because the next week when she comes back, she's expected to pay that 10 kina plus the new week's 10 kina and people were accruing outstanding payments in that kind of way. As another respondent said, I think that NCDC has the right to take back space. However, vendors have a different background, so NCDC can't evict them, can't remove them from the spaces because we also risk our lives in the process. So the safety of market clerks was also an issue. Uh, there were facility-related discussions all the time regarding market facilities. But in summary regarding the new payment system, clerks and management said that the new system reduced their workload in collecting fees and helped with administration. But problems and issues were identified, including literacy level of clerks and vendors, the issue around leniency and safety of both the vendors and the clerks, and also it was clearly identified that there was a need for support regarding implementation of the digital system and management of the markets. Um, in, in short, managing the markets is very difficult and introducing the new payment system identified in actual fact significant problems in managing the market, managing the spaces and uh, many challenges. So UN Women and NCDC wanted to work together to introduce a new payment system but in reality, it was clearly determined that there were many other, there are many other problems at markets such as Barocco Market here in the capital city, including management of spaces, the literacy and numeracy levels of clerks, literacy levels and financial literacy of vendors, and uh, facility issues and many other issues. And uh, this payment system obviously couldn't address all of those varied issues in the fresh food market at Barocco. Thank you, true long time below you. I'll talk to you later today in the question time, I'm sure. Thank you, Strad. Thank you, uh, Dr. Amanda and the teams uh, for your wonderful presentation. Please put the hand together one more time for the good presentation. So technology is the way forward for the future of Papua New Guinea. Without further delay, I will invite the next speaker today, uh, Daniel Martin.
uh, he's uh, one of the uh, PhD students from Devanagar University. Uh, he going to speak about his electronic uh, government uh, factors that influence the adoption by agencies in Papua New Guinea. Please put the hand together, Mr. Daniel Martin. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this afternoon, I'm presenting on uh, e-government factors that influence uh, agencies in Papua New Guinea. Uh, this is um, a research in progress, so what I will present this afternoon is not a complete findings, it's just uh, progress, research in progress. I'm, with, I'm doing my research as a part-time student. I'm teaching and doing my research uh, at the Wanwood University. Uh, E-government, uh, sort for electronic government, is simply uh, referring to the use of ICT uh, in government in the public sector to improve uh, processes within the public sector and how we can uh, improve the uh, delivery of services uh, to citizens in the country. A lot of benefits in terms of uh, the use of e-government has been documented. Uh, a lot of research has been done in various countries, developing and both developed countries. Um, but the, in terms of adoption and implementation and use of uh, e-government uh, is quite slow in developing countries like Papua New Guinea uh, due to various challenges. And I will sort of touch some of those challenges that uh, a lot of developed countries face in the process of adopting uh, such technologies. Now, the PNC government has various development plans like Vision 2050, medium-term development plans, uh, and in those uh, various plans, the government uh, plans to adopt e-government services, access to e-government services by 2030. Uh, this is 2018, we've got 12 years left. Uh, to be able to provide access to those kind of services through the use of ICT. Various studies have been uh, done, as I've mentioned already, uh, concerning different challenges, different factors that influence or affect uh, e-government development, especially in developing countries. And the focus of my presentation this afternoon is looking at those main uh, challenges and how, in terms of uh, those challenges affecting uh, PNG uh, government agencies. Now, when I say agencies, I'm referring to uh, national departments, different authorities like Tourism Promotion Authority, uh, and the different commissions like IRC. So, uh, when I say agencies, I'm referring to those three groups of uh, uh, agencies in the country. These are the methods I used um, in my research. I did some interviews. Um, and what I'm reporting uh, and presenting this afternoon is just based on uh, not all of my interviews. I'm still uh, analyzing and uh, those different interviews. So I, I, I interviewed, uh, interviewed different uh, government departments, uh, authorities and commissions like ILC, um, about, 20 of 20, about 20 interviews from about 11 uh, government agencies. Um, Unfortunately, some of the government agencies uh, did not allow me to get into an interview. Uh, 
Uh, some did not respond to my, my, my request to uh, interview some of the officers. Uh, some said, no, we cannot allow you to come in. Uh, some cancelled uh, their, uh, their, their positive response. They cancelled their appointments. So those were some of the challenges in trying to interview these different government uh, agencies. I used what we call uh, thematic network analysis uh, to code uh, my interview data and to come up with themes that reflect some of those uh, challenges. In, in, my, in my findings, uh, I found three main challenges in terms of, uh, in, in terms of the process of adopting e-government, the use of ICT in those different uh, government agencies. Technological challenges, organizational challenges, and environmental challenges. So three main uh, types of challenges. In terms of technological challenges, ICT infrastructure is one of the uh, main findings. Uh, a lot of, almost all those government agencies or the people that I've interviewed mentioned ICT infrastructure as one of the challenges that we have uh, in our country, both internal and external. Internal meaning infrastructure within those uh, agencies and infrastructure outside in terms of connecting with different agencies and how they can work together. ICT strategy in those different agencies, having an effective strategy that lays out uh, the goals and objectives and strategies how to implement and achieve those goals. Uh, so they also mentioned that as one of the challenges, clear, effective strategies that they can implement. Uh, and you can derive medium-term, long-term long, uh, medium plans to be able to implement those different strategies. The other one is uh, data management. Uh, data management is also one of the challenges. Uh, and it, when I say management, referring to how you collect data, how you store, how you uh, prevent unauthorized access, how you make ensure that the data you collect is of high quality, that you can use that uh, to make informed decisions. So all aspects surrounding data management was also uh, found as an issue. Uh, because when you talk about e-government, you are providing, you want to provide information and services in an effective manner. The collection and management of data becomes a crucial aspect in terms of adopting uh, e-government. And the other one that I found out was the, um, how different agencies can interoperate. Uh, because from a user point of view, from a citizen's point of view, uh, a process, a particular process can cut across various agencies. Like if you want to register a business, uh, you need to go to IPA, and then you need to go to IOC to get a tax file number. Uh, so one process from a citizen point of view in terms of registering a business cuts across multiple agencies. So uh, one of the challenges is getting these different agencies to be able to work together to make, you know, to provide such services conveniently to people who, citizens who want to register. So I'm just using this as an example, but there are other processes from that point of view uh, that cuts across those agencies. In terms of organizational factors, you've got top management support. So top management support is also vital uh, in terms of you know, uh, facilitating uh, e-government or the use of ICT. So that support has to, has to come from the top. 
that commitment and support. Uh, that lack of support. If there's lack of support from top management, well, there could be a lack of funding in terms of what's important and all that. So uh, that's also one of the things that I found out. Human capacity, um, in terms of the people with the, the skills and the knowledge and the experience within those agencies to be able to uh, facilitate uh, implementation of uh, those kind of uh, technological uh, initiatives. Now, looking at, looking at uh, people with experience and skills and knowledge, that, that also includes uh, the, the operational staff, the employees within uh, that particular agency. Uh, because when you introduce technology, technology can have a radical change, uh, not just automating uh, existing processes, but uh, you may be required to redesign uh, those processes that are not effective to make it more efficient. In that way, that can affect a lot of people within the organization. So there should be sort of you know, e-readiness, you know, uh, being ready to be able to uh, facilitate. Organizational culture, culture within different agencies, like in terms of uh, sharing information about technological developments and uh, technological, not just the IT people, but also share that kind of information with, uh, with the employees within that organization so they know the benefits and, and, and the, the advantages and disadvantages and, and all those things so that they can all contribute towards the success of such developments. Change management. Again, ICT brings a lot of change into organizations, into agencies. So, uh, handling, how to manage, uh, not just implementation of technology, but uh, when you implement technology, it has ripple effect. It affects other areas as well. So how do you, you know, manage that change? Uh, so that was also an issue in terms of, because if, if, if you are going to redesign a particular process within an agency, of course, that would include people, people who have been doing you know, performing in that particular process, in that area. So that kind of, you know, managing that kind of change is also important. So that's some of the uh, uh, organizational factors uh, that I found out. In terms of uh, environmental factors, uh, political leadership, political decisions and support also plays an important role. Um, there was an interest, interesting case in one of my interviews and this particular interview is, uh, mentioned that uh, sometimes there is a decision by NEC to appoint a new person in management. And the, the former uh, maybe had uh, a particular vision in place to implement something. And when there's a change of management, that new management comes with new ideas, new vision. So the old one is done away with. So they don't sort of complete what they have planned previously. So. Uh, and that is you know, when, when NEC decides to appoint someone. So that was something interesting that I found out. So that kind of political support, political uh, uh, decisions and support from, uh, from, uh, from, from government leaders. The other one is uh, economic conditions uh, in, the, in the country in terms of how much funding gets allocated to the different you know, agencies. That also affects you know, what they do in terms of uh, technology and of course other areas as well. The, the, the level of funding they get from the government. Government regulations also affects, according to my findings, uh, in terms of the laws or in terms of the policies that are in place. Of course, we've got, uh, in the country, we have an ICT policy, uh, but the ICT policy does not state clearly in terms of what to do with the government, specifically. Uh, so that kind of policy, uh, 
another interesting uh, finding was that one of the interviewees mentioned that they are not able to implement online services, like if you want to register something, uh, they are not able to implement that because uh, the act does not allow it. And they are in the process of reviewing the act to allow implementation of those kind of services. Having a legal framework uh, is also important, where a, some kind of a framework that will uh, allow different agencies to work together to implement a government so, to, so that you know, we you know, improve this, uh, the provisions of uh, services to citizens. So a framework that you know, allows a law or something to enable uh, agencies to work together. And also in that framework that should also include the kind of standards that we need, so that we need to have in terms of what kind of hardware to buy, what kind of technology to bring in. So some kind of standard so that all the agencies are you know, complying with a set of standards. And the last that I found out was the, uh, in terms of you know, cultural issues that we have in the country, and like you know, one-talk system. And some mentioned one-talk system as one of the uh, issues that's affecting uh, adoption in government. Well, how, how does one-talk system work? Well, some mentioned that um, people get their one-talks into these agencies when they are employing or recruiting people. So uh, that's my one-talk. I put them in the IT department, but without any skills or knowledge to be able to facilitate such developments. So that's kind of those kind of issues. So those are uh, four main uh, uh, factors in terms of the surrounding environment on how uh, that affects uh, e-government development in those different agencies. As I've mentioned at the beginning of my presentation, uh, there are various government development plans, and the government plans to uh, provide access to uh, e-government services by 2030. Implementation is slow, uh, and uh, e-government is not fully implemented in the country. Uh, and these findings are similar to findings found in other uh, developing countries, uh, especially in Africa uh, and in other one or two other Pacific Island countries, like in Fiji. It is important that we address these uh, challenges uh, so that we can successfully implement e-government initiatives. I don't know whether you have heard something about the integrated government information system. Has anyone heard about that? IGIS or IGIS? Okay, so that's one of these government initiatives. A lot of money has been pumped in. Stage phase one costed about 52 million kina. So they've, they've, they've contracted the Huawei company to come and set up uh, this government uh, platform to connect all these government agencies. And I actually interviewed the team leader. And there were a lot of challenges. And I've mentioned some of those challenges. And a lot of money has been spent. And those who were supposed to be connected, some did not connect. So uh, some of those challenges have played a part in terms of how we are planning to implement uh, those kind of uh, technological developments in the country. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Daniel Martin, for your wonderful presentation about this e-government uh, service delivery mechanism by using the technology. So we will uh, ask a couple of questions later on. So without further delay, we'll continue the uh, next presentation. Uh, 
Mr. Paul Kayeta is available. Yeah, Mr. Paul Kayeta going to do the presentation um, uh, decision and behavior, the lesson from a Koilala ICT project. Please put a hand together to welcome uh, Paul Kayeta to present the paper. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, afternoon, everyone. This afternoon, I'll be speaking on a quite interesting research I, I am currently doing. Uh, I hope you enjoy this session. Uh, before I move on, just making sure you know uh, that the uh, views I state here are not uh, in any way related to my employer. Uh, these are personal views. Now, as we know, uh, at the turn of the 21st century, uh, ICT has been, what everybody has been talking about, society, internet, big data, digitalization of everything. So even PNG is uh, aspiring, making sure it, uh, it, it is on par with the rest of the world, connected. Uh, so is the district that I'm going to speak about, the uh, district in Central Province. Now, uh, since the theme of this uh, seminar is uh, on PNG in the APEC era, uh, when you look back at the goals, the lower goals of the APEC, it uh, does state something on ICT. Uh, the lower goals progressive reports 2014 did state uh, where PNG is right now or was. Uh, in 2014, telecom decreased 68% uh, of uh, internet wholesale prices. PNG uh, also did welcome Vodafone, and uh, I think we also moving into uh, welcoming Tataco as well. Uh, there's an increase in mobile phone services, uh, fund transfer, and payment of bills. So that's how important ICT is in the country and also part of the APEC countries. Now, my the main objective I was trying to achieve in this research was uh, the Goilala district. They came up with a project, an ICT project, which they were rolling out. Pisat, uh, very small aperture terminal. Uh, what was the governance structure when they came up with this uh, project? Did they have a feasibility study? Did they really know what they were doing? Did they achieve what they were doing? Methodology, I collected data from public servants. It was quite difficult to collect uh, real data, uh, given that there's not quite a lot of data out there to collect, uh, and also pol political views and things on there. But I did uh, get data from public servants, the Guelala district CEO, also from the 2019 Guelala development plan, and other data from a blog site, uh, Guelala district blog site. 
in analyzing data. Uh, basically, the progress of the VSAT uh, rollout program, uh, the return on that investment, did they really achieve these objectives of uh, communication, connecting everybody in the district to uh, other districts outside uh, the Guelara district other, and also other provinces? Uh, the e-government, is it really happening in Guelara? Is it really rolling out? And uh, digital inclusiveness, which is the BOGO goal. Also on the scalability and sustainability of this art, uh, aligning that to our strategic plans and the APEC plans. Now, research findings. This district is a quite rugged district, uh, landlocked, under the least developed, not a lot of accurate data, which I can draw my uh, conclusions from or findings, and there is least economic activities in that area. But, but the good thing is there is potential for growth, and with ICT, I think things will be possible moving forward. So that's a Google map of uh, locations where the current VSATs are installed. It's around nine VSATs uh, already installed in, especially in uh, mission stations in uh, rural areas. Uh, some of the pictures of where VSAT has been installed. The areas of VSAT has been installed, they do view, uh, people around there do view television, uh, NBC TV. So that's probably making an impact to their lives. Now they understand what's going on in the rest of the country. Now in the Colala Development Plan 2019, uh, they came up with three projects centered on ICT. One was the visa rollout, which they budgeted six million kina for the five-year period, email and internet services for the e-government uh, initiative, and mobile phones also for councillors, what councillors, presidents and TD uh, district government authority members. Uh, what I found was the coverage is minimal. Only those people who stay in these mission stations or government centers, they have access to this research facility. And that will be roughly 5% of the population, while the rest are still outside in the remote uh, arts and communities. So what happens is that when, 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 the, when there's a call from, say, Port Mosby up to the Visad, uh, where the Visad is stationed, uh, and if the message is for someone even outside, there would be enrollment of a messenger that will carry the message down the, down the mountain, across the river, and then up again to that side of the mountain, and then delivers the message. So it's still challenging. Say if, if there was a lady trying to give birth and 
भी क्वाइट डिफिकल्ट तो कहती में जिनसी सर्विस नाउ फाइनेंस द विशाल इस टाइनिशनाइजिटी फेस होपफुली वी मूव इनटू प्रॉब्लम मार्च बेटा आईसीटी इंफ्रास्ट्रक्चर दैट कुड रियली हेल्प दिस लीस्ट डेवलप दिस फिक यूसेज एंड कवरेज इज मिनिमल and we hope we we really hope that this APEC conference that's coming up this year might be in some smarter technologies for areas such as Kolala uh, district now one of the way forwards that i'm trying to point out is uh, of nudge the, the the nudge theory that we could we could nudge district governments this might be the way now this this TV that I'm suggesting is uh, not TV, a behavioral science theory uh, suggested by a behavioral economist. Uh, it's it's a concept uh, where you do positive reinforcement or indirect suggestions to influence behavior and the way people make decisions in groups or individuals. Let, let, let's look at this. We, we all know about this uh, Koki Oed Bridge. Right now, nobody, nobody uses a bridge. People cross the road at their own risk. So can we nudge behavior? Can we make people use that bridge? It costs a lot of millions of kina. We could put up a sign that, that says, uh, Please use our bridge and an arrow pointing to the bridge. Or we keep seeing the news about uh, SIM registration, mobile phone SIM registration. It has not uh, achieved much yet. How about we come up with an advertisement that states that we, we, we see the behavior of PNG people. What, what are the things that will influence their behavior? And we come up with an advertisement that states all the antes players and their PNG antes players have registered their SIM cards. And we'll see how people change and register their SIM cards. That's nudging behavior. <coughs> uh, this is on the pioneer behavioral economist who came up with this nudge. Nudge idea, he was the Nobel Prize award winner in 20, 2017, last year. And he, he wrote a book about the uh, nudge, or he touched, or pushing someone in the right direction to make much better choices. And there's a really good book that I would like you guys to have a look at. Uh, it's called Nudge, Improving Decisions About Health, Wealth, and Happiness. It's quite Similar to our vision 2050 of a healthy, wealthy PNG. This, this uh, theory mainly talks about a rational decision. A person, a person making rational decisions compared to a person that's not really good at making the whatever decisions. Uh, they do. And the research went on to suggest that 
not everyone is the homo economicus or person who knows the best way or the good ways to achieve, achieve things or make decisions that will benefit people. And there's a small percentage of people who are homo economicus and the rest of majority of the people are the homo sapiens or those who will need some help to make decisions. So just to, just to stress here on the homo economicus versus homo sapiens idea is that this uh, DDA, the Gulela DDA, probably uh, as, as, I, as I look through the data that I received, uh, not, not everyone is that very intelligent in district development and all that. They would, they would, they would require, they, would, they need someone to help them assist and make much better decisions uh, moving forward. Federal research, uh, I hope uh, there will be federal research on Bureau Insights. Uh, that might really help uh, public policy development, Shimo one, and linking government, academia, and industry to form large units or behavioral insight teams to support districts provinces and even departments. These are some of the large units around the world. Uh, started in US and then to UK, uh, Singapore, and they, they, they something like this in Australia, New South Wales, where they see behavior and then try to help uh, from the analysis help make much better uh, policy that will benefit communities. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm, I'd like to thank the APEC team, uh, sorry, the VNC update team for the platform and well, the District Global Blog Forum. Uh, it's, it's a blog you can visit the site uh, for the usage of data. Uh, thank you very much. I think we are already, you know, uh, exactly five o'clock now. So it's time for to uh, close the session. Please put the hand together once again to, uh, to thank for the three presenters. Thank you very much. And we will meet tomorrow by 8.30 for the second day of uh, PNG Update Conference. Thank you once again. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea, the Pacific and global development policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter to get all the latest updates, or you can connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.